Hello, everyone. Hope everybody's doing great this week. I'm thrilled, as always, to have you back for the City Champions podcast, which is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. So this week, I thought that I could bring a little more culture into the podcast and hopefully into your lives. The Edmonton Opera is currently putting on their rendition of Hansel and Gretel, and my pal, former podcast guest and friend of the show, Rob Clark, is playing the part of the witch, and he even shaved his legendary beard just for it. So I'm pumped to check out the opera scene for the first time this Friday, and in advance of the show, I thought it would be wise to brush up on all things opera. And by brush up, I mean completely learn for the first time because I have no idea about it. So I reached out to the organization and was hooked up with their general director, Tim Yakimek, who I had the pleasure of sitting down to chat with. Tim began his career with Edmonton Opera as an assistant stage manager some 23 years ago and has since worked his way up through the organization in all sorts of roles. In this conversation, Tim does a fantastic job of walking a beginner like me through the history of the opera, uh, what goes on behind the scenes, and why we in the city of Edmonton should care about it. I hope after listening to this episode, you'll be as fired up for the show as I am personally, and will join me this Friday. So I'll link to where you can buy tickets in the show notes um, after. And definitely let me know if you're going to make it because I'd love to see you guys there. Uh, Quick shout out to Rohan at Edmonton Opera for setting up my chat with Tim. And lastly, of course, huge congrats to my boy Rob Clark for this exciting role. Now, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Tim Yakovic. Tim, I appreciate you joining me on uh, such a cold Edmonton winter Tuesday. Uh, Thanks for coming in. Well, it's no problem. It's warmed up about five degrees since this morning, so we're on a good roll. <laughs> so um, I'll do a little intro uh, before we jump into this, but you're the general director of the Edmonton Opera. Correct. Going in your 23rd year with the organization. In Yeah, uh, not in this role, but right. it's, uh, it's kind of a, I've been through almost every other role, but it's culminated in this, so it's a good fit, and here we are. You've got that awesome kind of work from the bottom up story. I think would you start as an assistant, assistant stage manager. So right. that's behind the scenes uh, on the, on the operas, and there's usually three stage managers mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes. That you're in rehearsals, plotting every move, lights, uh, every movement on stage. You're basically the communicative tissue for the whole operation at, at the at the show. And I loved it, and, I, and uh, I came from an acting background actually before that, and mm-hmm. then fell into that because I have those uh, skills, so it, it fit, and it, it keeps you as part of the creative team as well. And then, so just from there, it just went to stage manager, mm-hmm. then into production, and then into uh, administration, and here mm-hmm. we are. Would you liken that move sort of to a you know a former player going turning coach, turning general manager? Is that sort of your progression? I guess you could you could align it in the same thinking, yeah, for sure. You'll notice a lot of my analogies come from sports <laughs> because that's that's primarily my background. Sure. Um, but you know, as I like to do on City Champions, I really like to kind of get an understanding of, of fields that I'm not. Um, necessarily fluent in right and so with a good buddy of mine rob clark being uh in your current production yeah. uh it's it's been that connective tissue between my world and your world and so here we are um and i want well, it's actually a, a really good synchronicity if you if you think of it that way mm-hmm. the sports and the arts because there's so much practice and uh Involved in getting good at what you do, and it's it's very similar to like though the the opera singers are like Olympic athletes in mm-hmm. a sense because 
people oh yeah it sounds easy but boy there's a lot of work behind the scenes and actually just maintaining the physicality to produce those sounds mm -hmm. above an orchestra without microphones yeah for that length of time and not hurt yourself so mm -hmm. it's it's a kind of a cool uh, alignment i'm glad you said that because i was i was thinking the some very similar as i was watching some of the videos of rehearsal i think there's just a piece up on cbc recently um but i i thought that i'm like i i see you guys are, are practicing or rehearsing rather in your new um facility yeah. Opera Center in uh, off of the Yellowhead, and um, I couldn't help but think like, well, oh, these guys go through so many rehearsals. You're, you're you're moving around. You've got to prepare. You've got to make sure that your your fitness is up to the right level. You've got to make sure that your your tools, your voice is is operating at peak capacity, and right. you've got to peak at the right time. I'm yeah. sure, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what's what's an opera singer got to do to a warm up, b uh, keep in you know keep it in good shape like what's that regiment like? well they have years of training in private singing classes and that's just all to get an immediate response when they need it but and to safeguard that but to warm up let's say they do some scales and, and uh, it's slow singing and before they start doing the big the big blast and even in rehearsals they're not singing out all the time they know what they have to do and they will occasionally test it out here and there and it all gradually builds up to a stamina for the particular role mm -hmm. uh, and then that usually culminates by the dress rehearsal and then they know we're all good to go mm -hmm. so it, it's a very metered out strategic way of rehearsing yeah and they know you, you saw some of the footage where uh, they're chasing around and stuff so you know they're gonna be out of breath okay we have to do this movement different just right. to accommodate knowing that or and but they build up stamina as well so they're testing themselves mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a kind of a cool procedure is is there such a thing as peds and in, in opera singing peds <laughs> performance enhancing drugs no 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 it's just all natural all natural i think he's starting to do well even with people get cold they sometimes refrain from using uh, like sudafed or over-counter drugs because it dries up Mm -hmm. Part of it is to, I think those drugs dry up your system so you're not yeah. affected by that. Yeah. But that has a direct effect on your vocal cords. Mm -hmm. And so that they usually let things happen naturally mm -hmm. because it's, they're very, very conscious of what those two little vocal cords uh, are affected. So what happens if you blow out your vocal cords or blow out your voice in the middle of a production? Like night two of five? Never seen it happen. Really? No. Okay. All no. right. No, that's uh, that's You're not getting quarters uh, shots right to the neck or anything like that. No, no, um, not sure if we've ever had someone in that kind of a state. It's uh, we see the ENT or ear, nose, throat doctor if something comes close, they give some, but it's never come to that, you know. So yeah. they know their their instrument so well and their body so well at that level of singing that they pretty well can fend off things or know where they're going to end up and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Good knock on wood. That yeah, exactly. <laughs> that happens. What um, you know, in your experience in the opera, what what's sort of the scientific approach that's gone into gone into the art form? I mean, I you know, I was doing a little bit of research before this, and I there there's something about the harmonies and the and the voices and the resonance that seems to really bring out emotion in people. A lot mm -hmm. of people report, you know never having been in the opera before, but being moved to tears just by the beauty of it. Like, Oh yeah, that even happened in this one. We have uh, some 14 kids in the show called the From Cantwell Choir, mm -hmm. and they're the 14 angels in the piece. And at the end, uh, not the, the artistic director, Heather Johnson, who basically trained them and handed them off to us so that we could uh, utilize them in the show. But there's a scene at the end where the they put the, the Hansel and Gretel go to sleep and they come, the 14 angels are watching over them. And the way it's staged and with the music, she says, oh, I was, I was 
tearful. I was crying. But yeah. that's, that's the effect it can have. And you know that uh, people don't realize it, but operatic music and melodies, they're, they're really, really good. And there's a reason why they're lasting is because people respond to them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, all these commercials, you'll see an operatic piece behind the scenes in your ear. In movies as well, background to help resonate a scene and give it more emotional impact. Mm-hmm. But that's just the nature of music. Um, and there's scientific studies now about music being, let's say, for therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's cases uh, with uh, people who have dementia and are stricken with those kinds of illnesses that they respond to music mm-hmm. because it's it's an innate. You, you can't help but respond to it. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a willful. Oh yeah, I'll, you know, but it has an immediate effect on you. So that's the power of music. And I just find sometimes with live orchestras and live singing, it's even further. Uh, depth to that right you're right you can't help but react to it yeah i mean you know trying to think about it from an evolutionary standpoint you know our our voices are obviously our own instruments right yeah, yeah. and then of course as we you know as we kind of ratcheted up our technology we created all these other instruments that are meant to sort of mimic our own or enhance our yeah. own instrument so it makes sense that not only would we respond to the human voice singing but also yeah. you know to the instruments that we've created yeah i remember i remember Everyone wanders around on YouTube and stuff like that. But I remember seeing this one clip where this one woman's cradling her baby or two-month-old and starts singing a lullaby to the mm-hmm. kid. And the kid starts crying. Really? And it's like, holy mackerel. <laughs> like, that's that's just a, a, an automatic response because of the, you know, obviously the, the, the nurture of the mother-child relationship. But then mm-hmm. the, adding the music on top of it, it's like... Wow, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, so so what made you ultimately make the switch from acting into getting into sort of the, the behind the scenes? Well, I'd positions? always kind of had done both in the past when I was running, helping a small theater way back when. We called it Leave with the Jane Theater as a, an outcropping of the McEwen Theater Program and kind of did that off and on for about 20, 25 years. But when you're doing small scale productions, you have to paint the floor you have to find the cost it, you know it's all on the actors and it still happens mm-hmm. in, in little indie companies but you know you learn from that and um, kind of get a reputation that you're good at it. so I just it fell into stage management mm-hmm. I was looking at a gap sure I could do that why not and right there it and it just went from that yeah. so now as general director sort of what are your primary responsibilities well I'm kind of the the go-to guy. So my relationship is to uh, to the go-to person for the staff and between us and the board. board the board, we have a, a board of directors. It's a not-for-profit charitable organization. Mm-hmm. organization. So we work together to ensure that we have the, the funding in place. And uh, my job is to, with my senior staff, is to uh, program a season that will respond to our patrons. We try to do a variety of productions that uh, will satisfy that. And then the sheer size and, and scope of those productions that we can balance a budget to support it mm-hmm. and present it. So that's basically in a nutshell what I what I do. Okay. Now you said you know your patrons. What what's the typical demographic of opera growers? It's all over the map. Yeah, it really is. Um, surprisingly, people think it's all uh, the uh, the older generation. And I'm one of the, I guess I'm gray-haired already. I'm, <laughs> yeah, what I'm, exactly is older, right? <laughs> well, I know, it's exactly. air quotes older. Exactly, quotes. But then I always get the, we have people from out of town that sometimes come in from Toronto to go to the opera. They say, oh, and look at our crowds in the lobby. They wow, you've got a young demographic here comparatively. Really? So yeah. that's satisfying. And we're doing a lot to 
to uh, open it up and make it attractive for people to check us out. And mm-hmm. I think it's happening. We have mm-hmm. some, you know, the some reduced ticket under 40 ticket pricing, uh, like Encore memberships and Explorer uh, clubs that offer free drinks on a Tuesday night and, mm-hmm. and it's a lower price ticket. Mm-hmm. We have all our Opera 101s, which are outreach uh, pre- prior to the show to help explain issues within the opera, the musicality. We look at that and every opera we try to uh, tag in uh, with, for example, this one deals with the, the, the family being in sheer poverty and mm-hmm. having to thrust their kids out into the woods because they right. can't feed them. That's <laughs> Which apparently did happen in medieval times and they think, okay, that's pretty drastic in the Grimm's fairy tales. But yeah, in the medieval times it was so bad, they just put the children in the, in the forest to fend for themselves. And right. there's, it's like horrific when you think of today, yeah. but we're still dealing with poverty. It's, it's an honor. So we decided to, to uh, partner with the food bank and okay. help promote that as well on this one. Um, in the past, we've, uh, with Don Giovanni, the lecht, who's Don Giovanni, uh, Lothario, and mm-hmm. uh, abuses women. And isn't, uh, we've partnered with the... Um, it was the Me Too campaigns. So a right. lot of that was about to, to just wait, raise awareness for, for to fair treatment of all people. Right. Um, so those are those are the types of things we try to do, and it, and it provides us uh, access to out for outreach and different events that we can uh, communicate with the public and interact with the public on different levels, other than just opera. Mm-hmm. But it helps resonate that opera, yeah, has deals with these issues too in their stories. So. Mm-hmm. Well, not that I know a ton of, of, of stories inside and out when it comes to the opera, but it seems like they're pretty archetypical in the sense of, you know, they're they're the age-old stories just told in a creative way with, with music and with singing. So, I mean, in each story, it, it makes sense that you'd be able to pull out these strands of, of connective tissue for, for you know, the, the individuals when it comes to connecting to the audience. Like yeah. These are, you know, the archetypical stories are things that, everyone goes through right yeah there everyone experiences that at some point in their life especially yeah. getting well hopefully getting kicked out of the house at some point hopefully <laughs> you don't end up you know with the over overbearing parents in the basement when you're 25 26 yeah. but yeah. Um, no that's exactly right they're all human stories and need to be told and we not in terms of regurgitation but every art form a strong story with it, like call it a good spine, can mm-hmm. carry a lot of interpretation and approaches. Mm-hmm. So that's the beauty of opera. They're usually very strong stories with uh, very strong characters dealing with human issues. Mm-hmm. And then we try to make sure that it still resonates with today's audience, mm-hmm. even if it's a historic story. Because they all do. Look at all the, the Game of Thrones, all those mythical things that they're, they're but they're big human issues that still resonate yeah. with with current contemporary audiences yeah of course yeah. well and i mean that's that's just a fantasized version of you know medieval united kingdom basically yeah right? yeah and, and so it, it's obvious to see people that. pitting themselves like each against each other but in yeah. the midst of all these big issues there's still human stories with exactly interrelationships yeah right? well we think like you know you think of battle as the the real frontier and and you know progress and war but no it's really the the political game you know yeah. that's, that's always being played that's that's where the real you know wins and losses happen yeah yeah so with um with you know choosing which productions you're going to you're going to put on what kind of goes into that i know like you know there's there's probably a staple of the mainstay operas and productions yeah. 
But, you know, I, I read on your website, you guys like to kind of tell creative reimaginings of some of the stories or put a more contemporary yeah, twist on them. put our own twist on them or just at least uh, make sure we, we cover that off. So for our season, we like to, you, you hit it on that there's a, uh, a main staple, but there's like about 10 big operas like Carmen, Aida, La mm-hmm. Boheme, those, those familiar names mm-hmm. that are called the... The, the not the blockbusters but the big ten big yeah, ten of greatest the op- hits greatest hits of yeah. the opera and everybody kind of recognizes the name um, so we kind of revisit those at least every ten years because we know they can always be retold like right. I say with a fresh approach or mm-hmm. sometimes it's just time to just pull out the historical and show it exactly as a historical which is really interesting to watch as well sometimes uh, so you, you do productions of them where they're just totally true to the original yeah and okay. like for example with La Traviata is one of those which we just opened our season with this year and it's uh, set you know we set it in the 1920s even though it was written far before that time mm-hmm. but it, it would naturally fall to the 1920s the way the, the society of Paris was uh, at that time um, so it fit well um, and we updated it to that era. Other times we can sometimes do things fully contemporary with mm-hmm. today's world. Right. It's still the same issues, but it, it, it would work. Um, for, for this one, it's basically set as is, mm-hmm. um, but we, with the Grimm's, uh, we just went more towards the original Grimm's rather than the candy-coated, sometimes you think of the fairy tale, that's what we see, and mm-hmm. it's it still has that attraction for kids with the candy, but it's the grimness of the opening scene and the, the horrificness of the witches, it's all kind of there, so that's mm-hmm. um, still for families. Yeah. But going back to choosing it, so we try to do at least one of those blockbusters every 10 years to, to, to land on that and add our twist. We try to do something maybe more family-oriented, perhaps, mm-hmm. like like... Hansel and Gretel, we did Cinderella the year before. We did HMS Pinafore. It's just a lighter, more frothy for the middle of the winter. It provides people escape from the cold. Mm-hmm. And then we try, try to do something at the end that might be a bit more challenging for us and our audiences that may not have seen before. Right. So for this year, it's Rossini's uh, Count Ori or Le mm-hmm. Comte Ori. So it's uh, not done very much, but it's a fabulous piece, and it's introducing people to that genre and right. getting them excited about. It. And yeah, it's worth seeing. That's a comedy, right? Yeah. And you guys are doing that in April. Yes. So, yeah, I've just got so many questions of how this all rolls out, just from a logistics point of view. So, you know, when you want to acquire a story, yeah, is it just fair game? You guys can can just decide what you're going to do or do you have to go pay rights to someone? Oh, well, some, uh, we pay rights for like a, just like an, even in the theater world when certain things are in the public domain, mm-hmm. but to get the actual adaptation or score for us, the mm-hmm. script, we pay royalties on that. Okay. So that's, uh, we rent or the, the orchestrations, someone's done taking the time they do their royalties and we pay that accordingly. Mm-hmm. So there's always that cost involved. Um, we, haven't commissioned a piece per se like the, the the new commissions but there are some modern pieces like the year before uh this we did uh, it's uh, called lilies it was a new production Le Felouette, mm-hmm. uh, from Mar- michel marc bouchard it was uh, he's a famous uh, canadian playwright um, it was a play that was then adapted into a, an opera mm-hmm. and uh thought okay it's time to it's so current and that was one of those things we wanted to challenge ourselves and our audiences so right. there you go so is it when you um, so when you you get the score or you pay the royalties, uh, you're not say you decide to do a certain production, you're not having 
to recompose the whole thing. Oh, you're, no. You're going off the music, the original music, yes. the original script yeah. for the actors. And then where does your creative license, what does it allow you to do? Are you able to change what you see fit? Or or do you have to stick to... You kind of stick. Like this one with the uh, Hansel and Gretel. If you go back to the German, original German, mm-hmm. which it could be done in German if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But we decided just to make it more accessible to, to families and to the ear for newcomers that we would go the the full uh, English translation. So there, the Metropolitan Opera did uh, a translation by David Poutney about eight or ten years ago. So we decided to go with that one. It's a bit more contemporary, mm-hmm. sounding to our ear. And so you're, but you, when you rent that, you you do that that version. Gotcha. Um, okay. Um, so and the music is the music. It's it's kind of just as it is. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So you're not switching things up. And then no. So walk us through from the time you. You decide on which production you're going to go. You get it approved and everyone's on board. What are the next steps to... to well, the next steps is engaging a creative or a design design team. So mm-hmm. there's the director that can work with the, the scenic designer, the, the elements on stage, and then the costume designer. Um, so they decide, they, we arrange for them to meet a number of times to come up with a concept and an approach mm-hmm. uh, with some direction from uh, myself to say, yes, that's, that would be feasible and this mm-hmm. and that would fit well within the season to what else we're doing. So they then make a design presentation and away we go. We're off to getting the scenic elements built here in Edmonton, the costumes when we can build them in here's Edmonton as well. And then we start casting accordingly mm-hmm. for what the roles require. We have mm-hmm. a local chorus that we can engage with and supernumeraries for those the, the non-singing roles. And then we just put it all together. And So um, what's the casting process like? And I mean, you've probably got your established veterans that you guys like to use, but then you, you probably also have to balance that, I imagine, with trying to give newcomers a shot. Definitely. And we have so many good singers in Canada. Uh, we have some really good singing teachers uh, in Canada that are producing some phenomenal singers. So we try to use Canadian first. Mm-hmm since we're a Canadian company. Uh, we have some really good local singers as well that we can uh, take on, like Rob Clark, you mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, that uh, some are in this production. And so it's a balance that when, like we did Electra, which is a huge thing. It's a, uh, Richard Strauss, we did that uh, a year or two ago. It all melds together. It's just, um, yeah, I'm sure. but it was a huge thing. And you need some really, really uh, high level singer for that that role. So we brought her in from the States. Okay. And she's done it on big stages around the world. So right. we try to uh, land some of those singers occasionally, depending on the role. Interesting. So there would be singers out there whose voices and, and abilities are, are tailor made for certain roles. Oh, and definitely. They, and they tend to do more of yeah. those. Yeah. Oh, like okay. even Turndot, uh, it's a big, big, big sing. And it's just. It requires a stamina and a, a ability that a let's say a younger singer or certain all kinds of different voices from mm-hmm. heavy dramatic lyric meaning more lyric higher there's a coloratura do all the little the high flips and stuff but yeah. you couldn't ask them to do a big steely role like right. turned off so you have to go after certain styles of singing as mm-hmm. well for the role as well is there any such person that ha- that can do everything is there a Swiss Army knife of opera singers? <laughs> I don't think so. They're pretty, Everyone's got kind of their genetic predisposition. Yeah, like even, okay, for example, this is um, 
our current production of Hansel and Gretel, the, the soprano Aidan Ferguson singing the Dew Fairy and the Sandman. Mm-hmm. They're kind of sometimes done with smaller lyric or soubrette soprano voices. But then unfortunately, in my experiences, they're always staged from upstage for some reason. And then they get lost because mm-hmm. um, Humperdinck, the composer, it's quite lush sometimes the bed of music he makes for these things and I think okay well she's got she almost got a Wagnerian voice you think of the Wagnerian big Strauss mm-hmm. singer but she's got a beauty of her voice too I thought well I think I can cast Aiden to do that and we can get to actually finally hear those beautiful melodies right. over the orchestra from way backstage which again is where she's staged yep. so we get the benefit of that so sometimes it's just trying to leverage the best you can to get the best voices on the stage and and where do you guys fall in terms of like obviously with this production of Hansel and Gretel there's a little bit of gender bending right you've got Rob playing the witch which is traditionally female I think you've got a female I forget her name playing Hansel Andrea Hill playing Hansel and so what's what's the creative choice there is it is it just you it's, guys want to go a different direction or no not so much that it's it's basically Hansel is always played by a, a mezzo a female mezzo soprano okay because it's written for that and gotcha. an opera called Pants Roll there's mm-hmm. a Carabino's another one that's in the marriage of Figaro that it's a young boy mm-hmm. but because of the where the voice sits a mezzo has to sing it oh, okay and it's just dressed up and we all know that we take that conceit and we go with it mm-hmm. same thing in Hansel the witch is often done with the tenor okay. lots of times and okay. it just adds a little different texture to the sound a little bit more uh, what do you call it menace menace to it yeah it's, it's thing, you know. for sure yeah it's interesting because it's one of those stories we all know, kind of quote unquote know, yeah. because we were told it as a kid. But if you ask that, you know, the average person is, hey, tell me Hansel and Gretel, you kind of not really yeah, remember you, the details. Yeah, some of the big, the big arc, but yeah, the details yeah. fall apart. Yeah. So what are people going to leave the, uh, and it's at the Jubilee, At right? the Jubilee. What are yeah. people going to leave the Jubilee after a performance of Hansel and Gretel feeling? And, and what's, what's, the, what's the production going to leave them? Well, okay. this one, we, they, the creative team really decided to play with dark and lightness. Mm-hmm. From even seeing the production, how light plays and that, where you can enter darkness and that gives you a whole different world. And, but by the end of it, with, the beauty of this is that they're making their journey towards light and a place of safety. Mm-hmm. So that really works well for this. So they'll feel that joy at the end because it's, it's a, the family is torn apart at the beginning, but they find their way back to being committed to each other and spiritually around the, their world changes as well so it's a real sense of joy that we're going to see out of this so i think they'll leave that and the music really supports that so well too mm-hmm. and that's what the beauty of the, the creative team takes their cues from the music right and and the sense of the story so it's really a, a lovely meshing and a support for each of that those elements so on stage well not on stage but in the production you've kind of got the way i looked at it you've got two point people the conductor and the director is that is that right correct so what's can you describe their relationship when it comes to putting on a production well they're in rehearsal from day one together Mm -hmm. um, and they will communicate prior to getting into rehearsal to get a sense of the approach what they're each after so um and they depend on each other so they're staging something and if it doesn't work musically they'll confer that yeah it would be better if this person did this just for to make sure the voice gets out or Mm -hmm. to uh and the approach but they work in tandem in rehearsals to get to the final final product right is there you know is there ever an instance where they're at odds with one another is there ever you know 
you know, I mean, you, well, that's, any 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 group you're going to have personality tension. conflicts, yeah. tension, ego. You know, what are some of the com- common problems? You know, that could come from uh, that could derail know. a production. Yeah. I've not seen it here. Uh, that's that, good. That, sometimes the myth of opera, the diva, the word diva. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I just find that people at that level are so, um, what is it? The, the word diva doesn't really make sense in, the, in our opera world. Mm-hmm. It's where they're so well-tuned to what they need to do and what they do that they're very human. It's like, yeah, they go home and change kids' diapers. It's mm-hmm. They just have a special skill, but they're... And, the opera rehearsal and even in theater I remember that you come together for a short time there's an immediate trust you build in mm-hmm. that you're there to help support the project so your egos are left at the door right it's not about the star or the lead no, it's, it's no. about the production exactly and I I really uh, commend all our cast in my time and even as a, as a stage manager there's very few times, it, and you can imagine sometimes the the amount of uh, pressure on these people that, depending on two little vocal cords to yeah. stand them, and <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of pressure. But they know how to handle it and meter it. Like I say, they that's what they work on to get to that high level of performance. But mm-hmm. it's always been a very familial feel, and it's just mm-hmm. collective work towards a, an end goal so it's mm-hmm. kind of like a sports team right they right focus on the game <laughs> well i mean i mean a good team the the saying goes it's about the logo on the jersey not the name on the back right but well exactly and that's kind of my mantra that i keep repeating if i have any opportunities it's like you know they're all working towards the end goal mm-hmm. but ultimately you know in in sports it's sometimes the frustration is that these these star players get pampered so much and and um, the egos get so big and it's just because they're treated like royalty from the time they're little kids yeah and i don't see that happening in, in the not here world. maybe you hear you hear stories and maybe they become legend or legendary and who knows how much truth is behind them the <laughs> metropolitan or the big opera houses yeah. but there's a lot more eyes and uh media on those kinds of places For sure. that, record, that maybe push things past a certain point that mm-hmm. becomes then becomes fodder for gossip right yeah well people love gossip what, yeah. what about um have you ever gone to operas in europe like yeah. kind of where in italy where it originated i think i've uh, been to a few there in england mm-hmm. uh not in france but uh yeah and it's the same we've had people from europe too that come here to perform some mm-hmm. directors as well and it's we're all in the same game. It's uh, is it a sim- similar culture between north america and europe i think in europe it's a bit more people accept it as part of their culture that, and there's no question it's part of your life. Here we have a bit more of a, a challenge to let people, yeah, it's okay to come to the opera and experience it. Just yeah. don't just say, I don't, no, opera's not for me. Come and experience it and right. you might find a difference. I remember the first time my father came to the opera, that was when I was still, what was I doing then? I was, was I even, I was in the chorus at that point. Yeah. They came to, uh, what was it Norma of all ones that was way back Mm -hmm. and that's kind of a a beautiful beautiful music and I thought it was more of a more of a static opera where presentation symbolic and things and tableaus and he loved it yeah you know but he'd never been to one before but there was obviously the appreciation of the gorgeous music and the symphony and Mm -hmm. the the voices plus all the the stage theatrical machinery and just the lights and Mm -hmm. just yeah, just get get lost in it. And we have super titles, which are the English translations, no matter what opera we're doing, because sometimes uh, 
we just have it there for for assistance. Yeah. Uh, if it's in Italian, we're singing or German or French. This right. year it's, we're actually this is in English. We still have super titles mm-hmm. to follow along to to assist. So it makes it very approachable and give it a try. So the first time your father came to watch you, were you um, were you professionally doing it at that point? Were you still amateur? I was still in college, so college? I just joined the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> So that was just my first time. Oh, this is really cool. So what was his reaction to when you invited him? Was oh, he, sure, why not? He was they, all for it. Of course, yeah. yeah. Well, you go support your kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Like some, some, you know, some parents might look at that and say, "Oh, you know, that's not something I want to support." So that's mm-hmm. good that you had that. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're in North America. We're kind of plagued by the fact that we don't really have a cultural history like yeah. you know we have such a short timeline of our yeah. history well here's a case in point even my niece she has just finished her uh at nate radi- radi- radiology and mm-hmm. she had some time finally she said well i want to be a super so she was a super intern dot that what's was a, a super uh supernumerary so it's someone who either like can be a waiter or like they call it the spear carrier you don't sing but you're yeah. you do you're acting as part of the the storytelling so is the word extra frowned upon <laughs> no that's kind of the same thing oh, okay gotcha typical thing right she had never been to an opera and here she was in the middle of an opera and she was so blown away so i want to take singing lessons she was, <laughs> and then we had uh, some dancers involved i want to take dancing like, like she was just so inspired mm-hmm. yeah. by the community in mm-hmm. that rehearsal hall and the, and the, being a part of that community that she could be part of that mm-hmm. so it was kind of just really was infectious so I, I just love that from uh, Nicole my niece that, uh, but uh, yeah she and then she she was a supernumerary in other shows as well yeah. but you know opened her eyes to that, that. there's there is something about watching you know an excellent performance I find myself anytime I'm at a the rare time I'm at a concert I'll be watching and I'll be like Damn, you know, I don't think it's too late to give up singing. Yeah, I'm like, maybe I should take voice lessons, or maybe I should well, learn to play an instrument. You know, exactly. You've- and then and the same thing with her. <laughs> she took up the cello for a while, and wow, you actually did really well. Keep going, you know. But even our chorus, we think, okay, they're just the chorus. But man, they're good. There are mm-hmm. some really good singers in that, and it just that's the lifestyle as a as a, an artist. They just didn't choose it, mm-hmm. but they can still participate as an artist in a big production and they're really accomplished singers. So mm-hmm. hats off to our chorus. And yeah. I always tell people that they're so game and they're just, uh, they'll spin on their heads and sing if you ask. They'll, they'll <laughs> at least try it, you know, but they're yeah. just, they're, they're known for directors who come that they're really a good responsive chorus. So do they all have other day jobs yeah. as well? All so walks of life. They're really doing this for the love of course, and passion yeah. of, of the opera. Yeah, definitely. And all ages, because that's why I say that our chorus, usually on in, a, in, a, in an opera, is a representation of a community. So mm-hmm. depending on that, we have all ages as well. So mm-hmm. it's, we have students, we have people who are retirees, retirees mm-hmm. all walks of life, doctors, teachers, uh, grocery clerks whatever it is it's mm-hmm. just it's they, they love singing and they're able to participate in this in this way yeah i it, it's it's interesting you mentioned you know the history of of europe and, and their and their relevance with the opera and, and here in north america you know we don't really have that that connection to mm-hmm. it as much um how do you you know how do you go about engaging the younger audience and you know you know how do you get people say my demographic 30 years old um who's never really 
thought of it as mm-hmm. you know i if it weren't for rob I, I would have never thought hey let's go to the opera you know well, there but, you go. but now i'm like i'm pumped i'm jacked for it like good, I'm, good. I'm really excited <laughs> well that's excellent that's excellent exactly what we want like i say some of the outreach events that we do we 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 go to different schools to, to sometimes bring singers with us and talk mm-hmm. about the operas prior to that we do the uh the young um professionals providing uh, approachable tickets we um who else is the we provided like kids up front we have extra yeah. tickets that people sponsor we right. bring them in we have a we're, we're aligning with um it all starts with me it's a campaign by robert rosen and superior lumber who back all the arts groups to bring kids at uh with big sisters big sisters uh, mm-hmm. uh little brothers to come to the opera and mm-hmm. host them in a way that they may not have a chance to and it's right. you know, it just opens that that uh, experience to them and might give them a chance yeah i could be part of this yeah but we also have all kinds of people think the opera is so expensive to go to but mm-hmm. there are like tickets for uh, Twenty nine dollars. The nosebleeds. <laughs> well, yeah, I sit up there and yeah. don't. I wouldn't. I don't. Don't uh, deny that. But I sit up there during some performance, and it's great. It's actually really good. Yeah. It's a good sound, and it's. Well, you get the whole. Yeah, you don't take have, it all in, right? Yeah, you see yeah. the whole like spectacle of it all. I'm exactly, sure. and it's yeah. So there's excellent seats throughout the house. Just have to give it a try. <laughs> what? Um, you know what other activities or what other content would you say you're in competition with i mean there's so much amazing content being produced you know specifically digitally like on computers yeah. netflix you know in the theaters like is that your main competition is your competition more like you know date nights like with people well actually out? date nights may be a bonus for us because it's a great date night <laughs> yeah well no i mean like other day like going bowling or oh going, i see you know, yeah, going yeah. out for just well, a all, of, all of that comes into play and and you just have to keep your eyes on it mm-hmm. um but yeah, the it's sometimes easier for people to just turn the Netflix on and stay at home. Oh yeah, yeah. But, you just um, get lazy, right? You've got yeah. a great, uh, you know, surround sound system. You got a great big flat screen on the wall, yeah. hundred inches, and it's like, oh yeah, two pushes of a button, I can stay in my sweatpants, and yeah. I'm gonna get blown. But when you away. look at what our price point for tickets are, and you, you, you know, there's a whole range. Mm-hmm. But compared to what people, let's say, even you're in the sports world, pay for a ticket, I can't go to many hockey games yeah yeah not many um, people can even at the low end but mm-hmm. uh anyways that's that's what we're, we're, we're and there's so much to attract the, the public's attention whether it's tv or other events there's so much theater in town that's all great mm-hmm. and worth seeing there's the, the gallery symphony all those art uh, whatever genre of art you you've got choice so I look back historically when, let's say, the opera first began and I look, well, they did five productions mm-hmm. and they were really well attended, but they had people, that was the years when, let's say, the Ed Sullivan show would have Beverly Sills, who was a very famous singer, but she came to Edmonton mm-hmm. to do, she found a connection yeah. a number of times, Joan Sutherland, all these big names, and but it was a different era and people didn't have as much crossing their eyesight. Yeah. They saw someone on, if they saw Beverly Sills on Ed Sullivan, right. and here she's in Edmonton at the Jubilee, they're going to come out. Yeah. There Fewer trusted sources, for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot more to choice. And uh, that that's the challenge for us is to just keep mm-hmm. on the horizon. And, and for example, like for this show, the, there's a lot to see. It's with the, the projections and the lighting and the magical set and the, the, the costumes. It's really quite phenomenal. So mm-hmm. give it a chance and come and see it. And then, then you can make up your mind. Yeah. It's an interesting cross-section of, of both art and entertainment, right? Because 
you think of it as as an artistic endeavor, you know, but it's not like going to a museum and looking at paintings on a wall or looking at sculptures. Yeah. It's it's yeah. kind of a hybrid of that plus like you going out for you know night yeah. of entertainment. Exactly, exactly. And uh, like for this show, exactly, it, it it may seem like a long sit, but man, once you're in there, it just zips by oh, because sure. it's, you're just things are happening. You know? Yeah. What um, do you guys do? You know, try to expose sort of the behind the scenes of of these productions. Like, do you guys run any like webisodes or anything that kind of or you know mini series that kind of show what goes in because I, I find in a lot of you know a lot of endeavors showing showing like help, helping people understand it more by showing how it's produced and put together yeah. can can bring more eyeballs in to and that's we've done that before we've had some open houses at the opera center where I was, remember one time was it during Carmen that the uh, brought people in to show them the construction of the sets and the costumes and mm -hmm. this is where the rehearsals are. opened their eyes to the backstory yeah. and it's, oh they're all really more pumped to come and actually see it now complete on the stage mm -hmm. uh, they also do some filming uh, like with GoPros and, and put them up on social media to, here's yeah. here's an explosion that's yeah. going to happen and, uh, this is how it happens <laughs> little and, teaser yeah teasers and yeah. exactly that to show some of the magic or, or um expose some of that because it's worth seeing well i want to see it now real action so mm. that's a, that's again it's a an initiative we we, we try to do it as yeah. often as we can and do you guys have young blood in the organization in terms of you know the management of the of the edmonton opera definitely trying to keep things fresh i mean definitely our marketing team i'll bet you their age group is from under just under 30 to maybe yeah we, right around centering around that 30 year old mark so they're in on the pulse of the of uh, what's out there but they also are um old souls mm -hmm. <laughs> so they have a real uh um, guys on what uh, the historical aspect and how to really celebrate that but like, like you said what age is age is just a number like yeah. i all our i talk to my patrons who are well well seasoned I don't sense that they're old. They're, mm -hmm. they're current. They're mm -hmm. they're current or current issues, and they're interested in seeing that. So that's that's the cool thing. The rest of the staff too. It's quite a young staff, mm -hmm. so that are attracted to this genre. So that's surprising in itself. Yeah, well, they must be mature. I mean, I think maturity goes a longer way in terms of dictating if people are interested in this kind of stuff versus yeah. age, right? You yeah, exactly. Old souls at eighteen, nineteen who really get it. Yeah, um, you can get you know people my age who don't get it yet but I'm looking yeah. forward to trying to get it but the the, the term of getting it it's, that's all relative too so mm -hmm. you you get out of it what you at, at, at that age and it'll always build it creates a foundation for further so you just build on that each mm -hmm. time you see something oh and it just it, it refers or informs you of your life basically because mm -hmm. art does that it's it's uh even if you're looking at a painting why you know you're trying to analyze it or get some sense of it or why a new an installation performance art what is it saying so mm -hmm. just take the experience and just chalk it into the file cabinet keep building <laughs> on it <laughs> yeah so i know you guys are in uh the opera new opera center now um kind of likened it to the oilers moving into roger's place right yes everything consolidated how is that <laughs> how has that impacted um well, operations it's been a game changer for us because uh Here's the kind of the backstory. We were like we were always like gypsies. We we're just uh, we go to the Jubilee where everything's on wheels, so we can transport it back. But mm -hmm. having the opera center, we rehearse backstage at the Jubilee upstairs in the second floor, smaller rehearsal space. Um, so this allowed us to first of all consider building more locally. Mm -hmm. Geographically, Edmonton is kind of nowhere 
to other big operations you have to go to the south or the east coast of the states or the west coast down so the closest was Calgary Vancouver maybe Winnipeg and once that you start looking at trucking mm -hmm. opera sets are big you have to fill the Jubilee stage so you have at least two or three trucks if you rent something so you have rental charges which are quite expensive then you have logistics to get it here gas and trucking by the time you're in, finished shipping it back, you think if we build it here, we're going to spend as little, less, or as much as putting all that money, and the money leaves. Yeah, place your employee. So that was a, a strategic part of us, a plan of us to to keep it local. We're able then to hire locally. We build local, and for Traviat, it was a five co-production set. Mm -hmm. It was a massive set between Montreal. Winnipeg ourselves, Victoria and Vancouver. So it, it played in all yeah. those cities? So it started okay. in Winnipeg, we opened it, it's now in Victoria. Mm -hmm. So we all consolidated it through a, a, a opera.ca, which is like an umbrella organization, service organization for the opera groups in Canada, yeah. that provided us a, a, a capital loan to kickstart this, because it's a huge cost for right. that size, yeah. for that elaborative set. So. In the end, it, it ends up being our portion, what we would normally spend on an opera, but we were able to collaborate and get this great, great production. But Edmonton was chosen to build it because we have the facility and right. the expertise. Oh, okay. And it was, it's bar none. It's it's a fabulous, really detailed set. And we have the skill here to do that. Yeah. So let's capitalize on that. Are those co-productions common? How often do those happen? That's the first bigger one in Canada yeah we've done it prior in years before with of all places Hawaii opera uh, <laughs> it's a smaller scale talk about uh, logistics eh? yeah yeah but uh, that was when gas was a bit cheaper too mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah it's usually one or two one or company that we can compare but even then it's difficult um, it's all to do with the economy too where things are at and your, mm -hmm. uh, your sponsorships and stuff like that but this one worked out, and then just for having our opera center, we're then able to rehearse there mm -hmm. uh, with our chorus. So, um, so everyone that uh, passes through the doors, and we pay our chorus. We're they're kind of considered non-professional, but we do pay them. It's you know that's a, a real value that we value them. That you're giving us your time, you, you're going to be paid. So, yeah. and. Um, same with our um, supers. I mean, everyone just has some kind of honorary moral right. payment, which is really valuable to us because um, it's important. Um, but we build things there. Our costumes, you can build them there. We have the skills, our sets, mm -hmm. props, painting. Does that allow you to employ the staff full-time yeah. in the center? Uh, the, the heads, see the heads. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then uh, it allows us to work a little slower paced rather than just oh my god and throwing a whole bunch of people at it and, yeah. but it's uh, very it's very strategic and thought through mm -hmm. what are the budgets on these productions well I always like to say that we're at a, let's say a four million dollar company mm -hmm. we do three productions okay it's basic math is it's like let's say a million dollars of production right wow so that, that's no joke and how, how what's the average number of nights they run for Three nights each. Three nights each? Okay. Why that number in particular? Is that just demand and... Well, it's just, you start looking at just a simple math, right? It's uh, operations and then putting production together. It's it's a large amount of people you put on that stage mm -hmm. and you're dealing with the symphony, the large, the chorus, the dressing that chorus, mm -hmm. putting, it's a big space to fill with theatrical goods. Yeah, no kidding. 
uh, you need a lot of people to put it together and then run it mm -hmm. and pull it apart and then store it. Mm -hmm. So, in all, it's it's a big production. It's people are very familiar with the good say going to the Jubilee for a Broadway across Canada production, but those productions are amortized over how many two three hundred cities, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of money pumped into it and uh, made to fit numbers of theaters, but. It's a lot of money at the front end, but we don't see that here. So, mm. but we only have one whack at it each time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's impressive. I, you obviously love what you do. Yeah. Do Do people ever accuse you of not having a real job? <laughs> I mean, it's oh, like no, you not, get to like work in something you love. Like you probably like every day. I'm sure there's challenges, but no, it's not like, on the administration level. I don't think it ever gets to that. I but I get to to see the joy in other people, like the artists, and yeah. they work hard. It's like. But they sometimes think that yeah, it's just a hobby. Whoa, yeah. long, no, no. <laughs> and I've been, a, you know, a performer in the past mm -hmm. and a stage management. People work so hard; it, it really is. And it's they think that it's and it's contract work. So that there's the thing that, yeah. When I say that, let's say a really good singers in a chorus, they just decide. Well, I just can't live with that uncertainty. Got to be flexible, right? Yeah. yeah. So. That's that's the those are the hardship. That there's the glamorous life for you, but it, you know <laughs> <laughs> the, the starving artist. Yeah. Would you ever get back on stage? Actually, I did last year. Did for, you? I, I'm McEwen just opened their uh, Allard's Hall, the, the Triple Theater, at the new space. Mm -hmm. So they the first production they wanted some alumni to be part of it. Yeah. So a sister act. So. I took a little role as the, the, the Monsignor and had fun with that. <laughs> Was that exhilarating, getting back on Well, this? it certainly reminded me that I had been away from this for a while. And yeah. just watching these the energy and the, the chutzpah of these young performers and the, the stamina of it. Yeah. It was like really revealing to me. Yeah, it, it takes... It, but it was so much it was really great it mm -hmm. was good yeah. what's the what's the prime what's the prime age for an actor or an opera singer actor any age yeah it's just roles will evolve over I think time, so right? exactly and then and even in the opera world there's um, some sopranos depending on and that's why you see uh, um, let's say in Madame Butterfly Choto-san it's, it's such a big thing a young singer would blow their voice on it so you have to learn to mature your voice and get that the technique behind you and the stamina that usually it's you wouldn't be singing that before for age 40 really yeah so your voice matures that whole time oh yeah oh yeah you hear it oh wow yeah young singers and you go okay that's there's promise in that voice but and then two years down the road it'll, it'll have a roundness or a different maturity sound to it it's yeah. just it's voices just, tend to get lower throughout time right they will but it also they're trained to get to those notes and, right. and in a sure way because yeah um, but that's way down the road right yeah. so you, that's why for example the big Pasito Domingo is a tenor renowned tenor and he was now moving into baritone roles mm -hmm. because it's just that's just the nature I think he's over 70 or <laughs> but you know like they're still performing and I wonder really, what his pre-game ritual is what do you know what is I don't know what does he do like is it a cup of coffee and, you know like, <laughs> gargle yeah cup of coffee I don't know gargle salt water oh I'm pretty sure it's the regimen involved for, for what he needs to get through but yeah do you know anyone's in particular what's the weirdest like pre-show ritual you've ever seen I remember a singer and I'm like, where was I working I can't remember but she made sure she had a can of diet coke off stage to just give her that zip you know that just was, a little bubble yeah. kind of burn yeah but yeah, they've all have their own routine that'll get them mm -hmm. there. Then 
get to the peak performance at the right time. Right. So. What's how how long are they warming up before before a show? Well, pre before a show, they have makeup and costume calls. Yeah. So there's a, a hair and wig call. So that's that's back time to match how much involved that is. Then allowing them to have their warm up time, they figure it out themselves and mm -hmm. will like give you no that time doesn't work. So we can shift it to allow that, mm -hmm. and then for their entrance. Is so, there such a thing as saving your voice? Like, will will a singer not want to talk to people some, like the morning yeah. of a show because they got a certain number of notes per day or <laughs> well you hear that with the, like the Celine Dion in, in her and she's singing every night for but she would just have, go on quiet uh, certain people if they've had some vocal problems could do that I haven't seen it here all that much people mm -hmm. it's uh, they know how to measure that in into their there's their regimen but um, mm -hmm. I suppose that's true yeah interesting is there is there one production that you haven't done yet that you've had your sights set on for a long time is that a sort of one one that you'd love to do that you just haven't had a shot yet not at this point really i think it's uh i think we do enough variety that it's always interesting um it all depends on what would respond to the audience you have to kind of build towards that and prep them so i wouldn't say at this point no no is there is there any I'm just I'm just these are rattling questions in my head. Are there any productions that are like considered cursed or like very challenging or things just always go wrong? Like Oh well there's obviously like in the Shakespeare, the Macbeth. Yeah. Uh, we did Macbeth how many years ago and did some study and it's it really it's a myth that it's it's just folklore, right? <laughs> right. But those but, are the fun stories. Yeah, right? but so you still have, you, we still had to go into the rehearsal saying you can say the word Macbeth, you're not going to be cursed. You don't have to run around <laughs> the building and spit or anything like that. And so, uh, and there's legends, and I think they become legends of people being incapacitated in mm -hmm. either the Shakespeare or the or the opera. But you know, we just eradicated the building from all those demons and, and marched ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't think there's anything that's built in like a you know that folklore. Yeah. What about the saying "break break a leg"? Do you know where that comes from? Um. God, I used to know. I can't tell you right now, but I think I heard this recently. I'm not sure if this is right. You can tell me if this is what you heard too. But I think it comes from when you break a leg, you get a cast. So it's making the cast. So it was go break a leg. Because well, that sounds like a pretty pretty good. Get in the cast. Yeah, right? getting in the cast. Break a leg. It's yeah. good luck. With opera, it's called toy toy toy. Wherever that came from, it just means onward. Just kind of like oh, okay, yeah, like it's a battle. Like yeah, yeah, toy, toy toy toy. Yeah, oh, okay. So if I hear people yelling that before the show on Friday, well, I'll be more amongst the cast themselves or oh, okay. yeah, within our cast of luck, people write you a note, toy toy toy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tim, last question uh, for you for the day: um, What does success mean to you? Well, I think God, success. It's such a transitory word, but I think. It's, it's being satisfied that the work you put into something has a good result and uh, um, people can celebrate that. That's mm -hmm. success to me. Um, and whatever level that is, it can be on multiple levels. So you always have to just celebrate those successes and it'll be, it, it just grab those and celebrate them as you go. And we have a lot to celebrate in this city. Mm -hmm. We really do. My God, I, for my stage speech, I always say that the arts is alive and well, thanks to all our people who attend our sponsors and donors and there's lots to celebrate so just don't forget that and attend the arts yeah absolutely and is there any anything else you'd want to tell the listeners and drive their attention or uh or, or 
you know, break some exclusive news, anything like that? No, I wish buy tickets for Friday. <laughs> well, to, uh, tonight and Friday for yeah. sure. I'm not sure when this, this, this goes to uh, to air, but uh, no, really, it's worth seeing it, and uh, it's uh, involves so many fabulous people. And it's, hey, worth celebrating. It's a it's an age old story that is worth retelling and and, and uh, experiencing. So come and see how the opera does it. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. And thanks so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate it. Wonderful. Great. See ya. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. As always, really appreciate you. Hopefully you learned something and hopefully I see you at the show this Friday. One final shout out to two sponsors helping keep the lights on over here at City Champions. The Alberta Podcast Network takes great care of all us all of us Albertan podcast producers and has a fantastic selection of podcasts to choose from. Visit albertapodcastnetwork.com to take a gander. Lastly, shout out to Shaw Business, who sponsored this episode. Shaw Business offers a whole suite of smart solutions to help power the entrepreneur. They offer things like smart Wi-Fi, smart surveillance, smart security, and many other super useful, super smart tools from Shaw Business to keep your systems up and running. So you can focus on what's important. To learn more, visit shawbusiness.ca. Again, thank you so much for listening, guys, and can't wait to get back to you next week. See ya.